Today, we bring you a special holiday treat, a twofer, two great minds in one podcast. IDF spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus, and our regular Sunday man, Yaakov Katz. Both are big hits with State of Tel Aviv listeners and seem to be the right mix for what will likely be our closing podcast of 2023, unless something wildly urgent can only be addressed in podcast format during the next week. I may live in Israel, but I am still very much in sync with the North American Christmas New Year week shutdown. It's in my bones. We start today with Conricus, who provides detail and insight into the impossibly complex battle theater with which the IDF contends in the Gaza Strip, and which accounts for the very high toll the war has taken on Israeli troops. In fact, almost two weeks ago, Gal Eisenkot, a 25-year-old reserve combat soldier in an elite IDF unit, who also happens to be the son of Gadi Eisenkot, former IDF chief of staff and member of the five-person war cabinet, fell in battle. Gal Eisenkot was part of an operation to retrieve the bodies of a number of hostages murdered in captivity in order that they would be buried with dignity in Israel. He and another soldier lost their lives in that operation, and many were injured. Jonathan Conricus and I discussed the issue that overshadows everything in Israel these days, the plight of the 140 or so hostages remaining in captivity in the Gaza Strip. We know that more than a few have lost their lives and been murdered already, but we know nothing about so many. With Yaakov Katz in the second part of the podcast, we get into the politics of it all and his deep frustration with the lack of leadership from the civilian government and intelligence community with respect to the metaphorical day after in Gaza and the here and now on the Northern Front with Hezbollah. The institutions that are duty-bound, that exist to protect Israelis, he fears, are failing us again. With his customary sharpness in the best way, Katz takes aim at Israeli leadership. Oh, and the International Red Cross as well. There simply was not enough time to treat these topics properly and bring in the Houthis and their war on international shipping. It's all connected, as you likely understand, but nothing is resolving anytime soon. We'll deal with the Houthi conflict in short order. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, and now resident of the magnificent state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. We begin with Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus. Okay, Saturday evening in Israel, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus. How are you? All things considered, I'm doing well. Thank you. Great. Wonderful to have you back on State of Tel Aviv. Let's do a quick rundown on what has happened in the past week. In Gaza, of course, last Friday, a week ago yesterday, three uh, hostages having been held captive in the Gaza Strip were tragically shot in error by the IDF. Can you comment on that? When history will analyze, when contemporary history will analyze the war in Gaza and the key moments, I think we're looking at a 
pivotal moment, a very sad, tragic one. But the event itself was uh, one of the most challenging and, uh, and heartbreaking moments I've been part of as a spokesperson. I, I don't think that there's much more difficult and tragic messages to, to try to get across of a military in mistake, shooting and killing the very people that they're out there trying to save from Hamas captivity. Uh, and uh, I think that by the time you release this, uh, within a day or two, uh, we're going to have a full uh, and finalized inv investigation that will first and foremost be presented by the IDF officially to the families uh, of those three dead uh, Israelis that were wrongfully killed by the IDF. And then I'm sure parts will be made uh, public uh, as well. Uh, bottom line, obviously, these three Israelis should not have been killed by the IDF. Uh, it was contrary to the rules of engagement. And I think that from the get-go, the IDF has assumed responsibility, takes full responsibility for this tragic mistake and has done a lot of actions on the ground in order to minimize the chances of this happening again. The backdrop is one of a very challenging combat environment where soldiers throughout a month and a half, more than a month, have been facing similar situations where soldiers have seen and reported, and this has been accumulated over the, the weeks, many different attempts by Hamas to lure Israeli soldiers into ambushes using soft humanitarian spots, like uh, voice recordings of uh, Israelis, uh, having uh, Bluetooth loudspeakers placed in uh, strategic locations or tactical locations in order to draw Israeli troops into an alleyway where there were dolls and pieces of clothing that were made to look like as if there were children and, and bodies out in that alleyway, including then the Hebrew music and Hebrew voice, voice recordings in order to draw soldiers in there for them obviously to be killed by IEDs that were found there, very powerful explosive devices. And we've seen many attempts to use uh, Hebrew inscriptions and other mm. uh, voice recordings and uh, many cases of Palestinian women and children that have been approaching towards Israeli troops with white flags and their hands raised, waiting or trying to get Israeli soldiers to expose themselves. And once they did, Israeli soldiers have been fired upon by snipers. So this has been happening and there's probably it's for those who want to you know, go beyond and understand the, the psyche of Israeli soldiers as they are fighting inside Gaza. One must understand that the enemy it's very difficult to understand who the enemy is because the enemy dresses as a civilian, operates within the civilian houses, and tries to trick and use the most sensitive and basic civilian tenets uh, in order to create a tactical uh, advantage. In fact, shortly after I spoke with Lieutenant Colonel Conricos, there were media reports of just such an ambush in Jabalia in the northern Gaza Strip on Saturday, in which elite combat soldiers from the Golani unit were lured into an ambush by women and children with white flags. Four Golani soldiers were killed. Now, back to Lieutenant Colonel Conricus. Following that really tragic accident, which was just over a week ago, Israel had a very tough week in the Gaza Strip. There were significant losses in terms of troops, and there were also significant uh, civilian casualties. The pressure from the U.S. is mounting on Israel. 
to wrap this intensive phase of the operation up. We all know that many people who are serving reserve duty have been told that they're going to no longer be doing so at the end of the month. Can we look to a lower intensity phase of the conflict soon? Well, it depends a lot on uh, the combat situation on the ground. And uh, I think we still have to see how long that fighting will take and how intense it will be. The Israeli preference is, again, of course, to fight as quickly as possible. But usually, and this is something that not only Israeli troops know, but usually when you advance and when you fight in densely populated urban terrain, you can't do both a fast and a surgical maneuver. Fast usually means more casualties, first and foremost, your own, and also civilian, non-combatants. And in this case, we are prioritizing troop security and uh, minimizing collateral damage, minimizing civilians being affected by the war. We're operating in a very complicated battlefield. Uh, We're under, I'd say, not a magnifying glass, but really a microscope, many microscopes in terms of our operations. And I think we're being held to tremendously high, if not impossible standards when it comes to fighting an enemy that actively, by design, uses civilians as their human shields and is embedded within the civilian population. And we're trying to distinguish between combatant and non-combatant. And uh, they're actively undermining that. And we are uh, scrutinized for every uh, civilian that is affected by the fighting. Very challenging. I don't know of uh, any other military that has been in uh, such a challenging situation. Other militaries have fought in urban terrain. None of them have fought with their own civilians, their own civilian population, just a few kilometers away. And if Israeli troops fail, then we see the consequences of that. So to summarize, fighting is going on uh, to a smaller and lower intensity in the north. I suppose that there will be continued fighting there, but at the lower level, and we will be focusing on the south, southern part of Gaza, and we'll see how long it will take us and how much efforts will be needed in order to dismantle Hamas infrastructure in Khan Yunus. And I suppose Rafah will be the next stage. And as soon as possible, of course, Israel will be looking to de-escalate. But I don't think that we're quite there yet. And of course, to extract the hostages, as many of them alive as possible, which was the initial reason for going in to degrade Hamas's military capability and to rescue the hostages. So hopefully that will come in short order as well. Yeah, that is happening as we speak. We are doing counter, we're doing all kinds of operations, both to collect intelligence, and we have made uh, attempts to rescue uh, hostages, including using kinetic uh, operations in order to get hostages out. So far, not successful enough at all. And we are, we, we continue to focus on this working together with other security organizations, the ISA, Shabak, Mossad, and others, really trying to get the most updated intelligence and to find where the hostages are being held and to get them out. Hopefully, we will have achievements to show for our efforts. I'm with you on that. Everyone hopes so. Let's move to the North quickly. It was pretty volatile in the North, and I was reading today that I think 100,000 residents, more or less, have been evacuated from their homes on the northern border. What can you tell us about how things have changed and developed in the northern front? Yes, and you think you're very correct with starting with Israelis evacuated from their homes because that is what matters the most. Israelis being able to live their lives 
safely in their homes, in the sovereign state behind our internationally recognized borders. So we're now at the stage where Hezbollah has been attacking Israel for the better part of almost 72 days. They didn't start the first day, but they've been attacking for more than 70 days, firing more than a thousand, I'd say 1,200 different types of munitions, rockets, missiles, anti-tank missiles, drones, mortar bombs, and many other types of aggression from all over southern Lebanon at Israeli civilians and at Israeli soldiers. They've killed five Israeli civilians and 13 Israeli soldiers. We've been responding in kind and have mirrored, defensively speaking, Hezbollah aggression with IDF responses. Where we are at now is at a very sensitive junction for the international community to step up and understand. If the US, France, the UN, and others will be able to find a diplomatic solution and to provide security for Israeli civilians living in their homes, which is not the case now, Security Council Resolution 1701 has been totally gutted by Hezbollah and is not providing the minimal level of uh, what it was supposed to provide according to the provisions of that decision from 2006. Now, if safety doesn't come through diplomacy, it will come through kinetic activity of the IDF, and the IDF has been very clear about that. We are ready, prepared, equipped, and uh, very eager to make sure that Israeli civilians are able to go back to their homes, hoping for and uh, rooting for a diplomatic solution, but if not, ready to make it happen on the ground. Uh, and we're at this stage now where tremendous aggression has been focused on Israel. We have been defending ourselves and responding. And at the end of the day, uh, Israeli civilians cannot be asked to go back to their homes without them being safe. So hopefully we will see both fronts, the Gaza slash Southern Front and the Northern Front, settle down in the coming weeks somewhat, but no guarantees, right? The only guarantee I can give is that uh, we will not stand down before that is achieved. And for uh, things to be quiet isn't the objective. Uh, what we want is security, long-term security for Israeli civilians, for these Iranian-funded terrorists that have embedded themselves within the civilian population along our borders in Gaza and in Lebanon. And we need for them not to pose a threat towards Israeli civilians again. We didn't start the war on October the 7th. It was forced upon us, and we haven't started a war against Hezbollah uh, in the north either. It is being forced upon us. But we will end these two situations with them defeated and security provided to Israeli civilians. Good progress in the south, but still a lot of fighting to do in order to clear up uh, Gaza from Hamas, basically free Gaza from Hamas, and a very big and challenging situation up north. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricos, thank you so much, as always, for your insights and making the impossibly complex a little more understandable. Have a good evening. Thank you very much for having me. Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited-time subscription special, 
a 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually. One year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. Stateoftelaviv.com. All one word. Now, back to the podcast. On Sunday, middayish, I spoke with Yaakov Katz, former editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post and State of Tel Aviv's regular commentator, providing a summary of key events from the week past and setting the table for what may come going forward. Katz's take is slightly different from that of Lieutenant Colonel Conricus. Then again, as a civilian analyst, he can speak much more freely. He expresses his frustration with a detached military and opinion elite in Israel that seems to be as wedded to tired truisms with respect to the Northern Front as they have been with respect to Hamas. Katz believes that these assumptions must be revisited. We're seeing a replay of the same with respect to IDF conduct on the Northern Front that led to the carnage of October 7th in the South. Tired, lazy analysis and strategies, arrogance and complacency. Yaakov Katz never disappoints. Let's dive in. Yaakov Katz, the morning of Christmas Eve in Israel. How are you today? If I look outside, I don't see that it's Christmas, but I'm doing okay. Yes. Not so Christmas me. Lots of rain, no snow. Thanks for joining State of Tel Aviv for our weekly check-in. And this week you will be part of a bonus with Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricos in the IDF Spokespersons Unit. We have a lot going on, as always. I wanted to first go down south to the Gaza Strip, where the IDF continues to suffer significant casualties in that campaign, and civilian casualties continue to mount, and the horrific humanitarian disaster that unfolds as Hamas hijacks aid trucks coming in for themselves and leaves the people to starve and be without medicine. But what I really want to focus on with you is the hostage situation. Israel was really rattled just over a week ago when three hostages managed to escape and were tragically shot by IDF soldiers who mistook them for yet another kind of false decoy ambush. So my understanding is there have been a lot of these ambushes contrived by Hamas throughout this campaign. So it was just another one. But that really raised the level of alarm and I don't want to say desperation, but desperation among Israelis, like to just, we've got to get them out. We're out of time. And then of course, Hamas issued last week a really disturbing and tragically sad photo of three elderly men in captivity. Can you please just share your thoughts with us about what you think is the likelihood, if any, of the hostages being released in the near future? Because if it's not the near future, I think their chances of survival plummet. This is the big unknown and the big question, right? And there's so many rumors and so much speculation of how many are alive out of the 129, I think, that are still being held in the Gaza Strip. Is it most of them? Is it half of them? Are most of them not alive? And this is the cynical use that Hamas makes of the hostages that we just don't know, right? Our families, you mentioned the three elderly men from 
kibbutz Niro's were taken, right, 80s and 70s, at least their families, to an extent, it's crazy to say this, but at least their families now have some sign of life, right? Well, though we don't know from when, right. there are families that have never heard a thing. They have that one image of their loved one being taken into Gaza and nothing since. Is he alive? Is she dead? What's the situation? Nobody knows. And Hamas does this intentionally and denies the International Red Cross the access to the hostages as part of this manipulation, psychological warfare that they play on the Israeli people. I think that we have, we're in a very difficult period in that sense. And this is also a result of the tragic killing of those three hostages two Fridays ago in the Gaza Strip is there is mounting pressure on the government to make another deal. Now, what will that deal exactly look like? Numbers that are being thrown around. We saw the Mossad chief in, in, in Europe. There's an Egyptian proposal now that's apparently on the table. We're talking about something along, these are the rough outline, is a 40 to 50 hostages released in exchange for two to three week pause again in the fighting. Hamas has said publicly that they will not agree to another swap unless it sees the complete withdrawal of Israeli soldiers from the Gaza Strip. And they call it everything for everything. What do they mean by everything? All Israeli troops out of Gaza, they want to see the release of all prisoners that Israel has taken. That's thousands of Palestinian prisoners, 6,000 right. who were in Israeli prisons before this war. And a cessation of all the operations. I don't see how Israel agrees to something like that. But there is no, I think there's a lack of trust now, Vivian, in the IDF's ability to bring these people home on the ground in Gaza, it needs a political component, some sort of negotiation. But the all for all that you just set out is not all for all because it's only 50 out of 140 hostages, either alive or dead, plus the two bodies of the soldiers that have been kept by Hamas since 2014 and two other Israeli hostages that have been in captivity Correct. for many right. years. Okay, 100%. so it's not all for all. It's yeah. all for part. Hamas, let's say this, and, and it's going to be painful, but we, I think we have to say Hamas has the upper hand because of the fact that they continue to hold the hostages. And that is Yafia Sinwar's insurance card, and he is able to use it. He manipulates the situation, and he tears at our hearts every single day, but that gives him an advantage over us. And we can pound our chests and say we've destroyed 2,000 tunnels and killed seven, 10,000 Hamas fighters and destroyed this many rockets and that many explosive devices. But at the end of the day, the war will not be seen as a victory as long as the hostages are still being held in the Gaza Strip. And on, on, on the surface, that comment could be wrong because what do you mean? We've taken away Hamas's assets. We've degraded their capabilities. We've killed a lot of their people. But from the emotional resilience perspective of what it means for Israeli society? No, it will not be a victory if the people are still there. And Hamas has that advantage over us. They understand us much better than we understand them, it seems. Before we move up to the Northern Front, I just want to touch on the Red Cross, if that's possible. The taxi service. <laughs> exactly. We have this little mini kind of frisson, it's more than that, where many Israelis are taking the position. And in fact, one released hostage is suing the Red Cross for not having delivered her medicine when she was in captivity. Many Israelis take the position and have taken the position that the Red Cross has just abandoned us, their humanitarian organization. They should be doing something more than nothing to 
encourage Hamas to accept at least visits and medication for the hostages that remain. Red Cross says, not really, we can't do it. We're neutral. And if we start advocating, then we lose credibility. We must remain neutral with both in the eyes of both sides. How do you see that? Look, the Red Cross is obviously not doing enough from our perspective. And I think that we would obviously want them to do more. And maybe we've gotten used to seeing how Red Cross officials visit our prisons and visit detainees in Israeli jails because we uphold rule of law and we are you know, signatories to different Geneva conventions and we abide by them. Hamas is a terrorist organization. I also think the Red Cross is meaningless to me because they're just an organization that sadly is just this taxi service right now. I wish they could do more. But the problem isn't the Red Cross. The problem is our government and the problem is also Hamas, right? And the problem is obviously Hamas is first and foremost the perpetrator and the one responsible for everything that's going on. But I also, I'm upset at our government because the problem that I see, the biggest problem, and this also ties into the North, but primarily in the South, is we have no vision, no no one is articulating where we're going, where we're heading, what we're doing, what's the purpose of all this. It's as if we're, so we're working to destroy Hamas. I don't know what that means. We're looking to topple Hamas. I don't know what that means. We have 13 soldiers who were killed over the weekend over Shabbat, which is just a horrific number. The, the, the death toll on the Israeli side keeps on climbing. And I listen, this is a war. Sadly, people are dying. But where are we going? It's time for the government to tell us what is happening. Where are we going in terms of the operation in Gaza? Where are we going in terms of the hostages? And we don't get any clarification. And that is what I see as the fundamental problem. And when we talk about the North also, so there's about 100,000 people who have been evacuated from their homes. When are they going home? How are they going home? How will the reality change for them to be able to go home? Who is explaining this? Nobody. Nobody. And that is a problem. And this has been a problem with this particular government really since inception. It's not been present. And before October 7th, I think people who live here could see that very clearly. But since October 7th, there's been a complete vacuum of leadership, action, support, vision, everything. So up to the north, very briefly, we're going to do the full tour. We'll skip the Houthis today, though. But up to the north. Things seem to be heating up there. More than 100,000 Israelis displaced from their homes. As you say, unclear as to if and when they will be able to return and under what circumstances. How do you see things developing there in the next few days or week? First of all, I'll tell you what really upsets me. I don't know. You caught me on a morning of, of just a little agitated, but I watched some of the news last night. And they bring on one of these former Mossad defense ministry officials who, again, is asked about the North. And he says, no, for now, Hezbollah doesn't want a war. They want to be after they're, they're doing what they're doing to have solidarity with their brethren in Hamas. If they wanted a war, they could have launched a war. They don't want a war. So we could push this off. Maybe one day there will want a war, but we'll get there. And I'm like thinking to myself, come on. Again, you guys are saying the same thing we heard from you for years about Hamas. They don't want a war. They just want to vent. They just want to let off some steam. And then they went for us and they, they massacred our people. So enough with your assessments of what they want. No, here's what we know. You have a terrorist organization that is on the border with tens of thousands of people who are highly trained guerrilla terrorists, heavily armed. 
They have been killing your people since October 7th along the northern border. I read the other day that in Kibbutz Manara, which is an Israeli kibbutz just along the border, 50% of the homes have been destroyed. 50% of the homes. Thank God no one's there because they evacuated. But they've right. been destroyed because they're hit by anti-tank missiles all the time. They fire these anti-tank missiles. And what do we do? So they shoot at us, we shoot at them. Now, it's all within these rules of engagement. We don't go too far into Lebanon. It's all along the border. It's like somebody wrote these rules. You can shoot at each other within two to three kilometers, but not more than. And we're telling ourselves again stories as if, no, we can push them further north. And it's not even all of them we have to push north. It's just the anti-tank missile squads because they're the threat to the residents. Come on, Vivian. Come on. What are we? Why are we again? And, and, and again, it might sound like Yaakov is what just wants war all the time. No, that's not what I want. What I want is for us to stop dancing around the problem and to start dealing with the problem. And we're not dealing with the problem right now in the North. I'll tell you what a resident of the South told me. Just this morning, I was speaking with a former, with a resident of one of the kibbutzim down South. And he said to me, at least I have a horizon. Why? IDF is in Gaza. They're fighting. They're degrading Hamas's capabilities. There's something will change, right? At some point, Israel will pull out. Some new entity will take over, hopefully. I have a horizon. The people in the North have nothing. How do we expect them to go home? I can maybe think that a year from now, I go home. But they're going right. to go home, what, to Hezbollah on the border? How does that make sense? And again, we get back to what we said before. The government says nothing. It's interesting because I was speaking with a friend, very good friend, who also lives in one of the kibbutzim that was attacked. And miraculously is fine, as is the whole family. And that person said there's a movement already starting in the Otef area around Gaza Strip, where the old timers, which is people over 60, which really made me happy. The old timers are whose kids are growing up. They're going back. They've yeah, they're ready to go, back. to go back. They're yeah. going back. They're saying we don't have small children. And their mistrust in the government is so profound that they say, if we don't go there and force the government to move us back to our homes and allowing, ensuring conditions that allow us to live there in, in safety, uh, it'll never happen. We'll be like the people who were displaced from Gush Katif. And many of them, have, they still live in caravans because they're protesting 18 years later that they should never have been forcibly removed from their homes. But there is such a profound mistrust of the government. It's just proven itself to be ineffective. And so that's this kind of movement. And my friend who has a young family, they're planning on being there for the start of the school year in September. There's a split among the kibbutzniks, but many of them are saying, nope, we got to go. Otherwise, government's going to get too comfortable with us in hotel rooms or in temporary caravans in the middle of nowhere, and they're going to leave us there. And this person also said to me something that really freaked me out, which is the way they're not dealing with the North, the government and the IDF. They are setting us up for another October 7th in the North which is what you're saying. And this person said, and they're also not big hawkish kind of, hey, we want war. But they said, this country can come through one October 7th, but not two. I'm very concerned with what's happening in the North. I'm very concerned with what's happening in the South. But I think that we, we have to, we need a government that can provide us with a, with an articulate some sort of grand vision of what's happening. Whenever you ask people in the Netanyahu government, okay, what's going to happen? Afterwards in Gaza, they say, no, we're fighting right now. What does it mean you're fighting right now? The military is a means to a political resolution. It's not the end all. The military can be is an arm of the government that can 
get done things that can't be done politically. That's why you use warfare. But you need a political resolution here, and, and we have no talk about it. Now, the Americans talk about the two-state solution. Everyone knows we're not going there, but like the, the divide between Israel not doing anything, the Americans talking about two-state solution, there's got to be something in the middle no one's talking about. And the same thing applies to the North. We need to understand what's happening. Now, is it that we're saying, listen, sorry, guys, no one's coming back to the North. Hezbollah has to be destroyed, and we're going to deal with that. But first, we want to take care of Hamas. Say that to the people. I right. think that really people can sustain that and understand that and would accept it to understand because October 7th is this sea change in Israeli society that we now, we cannot, we will not agree to live with a sword up against our neck or our throat like we did until October 7th. And the, a responsible government would say, okay, I understand that. I'm working to change that reality in the South. I'm going to have to change the reality in the North. Here's, the, here's what we're trying to do but we don't have any. And I think that creates a lot of frustration, a lot of uncertainty. And this is not the way that you bring the country back together. And, well, and, and it's hard for me. It's hard for me to ignore Vivian, the fact that there are the way politics are playing such a big role right now and everything that's going. On. And the thought that Netanyahu does not want to do any of this because he wants to perpetuate this war to some extent, because it serves his greater interest of staying in power, of keeping the conflict going, the last thing he wants is for the war, I think, to an extent to be over with some sort of political resolution, because then he has to make a decision. Exactly. And he, and he wanted has to make that decision. And whatever decision he makes will likely poke the bear, Ben Gvir, and has the potential to bring down his government. It's amazing that we're in this position. Yaakov, thank you, as always, for your insights. And he's, I just want the listeners to know that he's still smiling, even if he is a little kind of ticked off this morning. Because we don't have an alternative. We have to smile even when we're upset. Yes, we do. We got to find a way to put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Thank you, Yaakov. Always great. Thank you. On Sunday evening, President Isaac Herzog addressed the nation and made some rather bold comments. He openly rebuked, not by name, but that's not necessary. We all know who he's talking about. He openly rebuked the politicization of decision-making in this war, the manner in which certain members of Knesset are using the war to maintain their hold on power or, of course, opposing interests focused on shaking things up. From day one of this war, I have been of the view that the leadership vacuum in Israel must be addressed imminently. The prevailing view in the early days was, no, we must unite. We must win the war. Then we'll get to the political crisis. Many are of the view that all parties need to be refreshed with new talent, untainted with the vicious battles of the last decade or so. But I still don't accept that position. Addressing critical leadership deficits should have been undertaken in the week following October 7th. Doing so would not have precluded national unity and fighting the war without distraction. In fact, I think it probably would have enhanced national resolve. Because every day that passes sees more decisions being made that are highly problematic. Israel is becoming further enmeshed in the consequences of bad decisions. Not all, but many. And it shows. The public across the board has very little confidence in Prime Minister Netanyahu and his coalition government. In a special address to the nation on Sunday evening, President Herzog 
implored Israeli leaders and society to resist descending into the constant conflict that so corroded the country prior to October 7th. I quote his statement, or part of it. The enemy is just waiting to see the cracks within us, for us to start fighting one another. They also see the conflicts, the arguments, the struggles between egos, the political conflicts, both in the days before and in the days after. They celebrate when they see the cracks between us, Herzog said. He also said that it is important for Israelis to end the internal struggles and division. In so stating, Herzog aligns totally with what Yaakov Katz warns, that if we continue to place partisan interests above national security, the enemy will not only see that, but they may well attack. Again, this time in the North. And on that sort of not overly optimistic note, signing off on this Christmas Day, 2023, I wish I could offer more cheer, but you tune into State of Tel Aviv for candor. And my promise to you is to always deliver the straight goods. Enjoy your holiday and thanks for tuning in. Best wishes for a happy new year. Over and out from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Thank you.